Tonight, just one verse, and then I'll let you be seated, and uh, we'll look at a few other verses in the surrounding context uh, tonight, uh, but we're going to read this one and emphasize this thought tonight. The Bible says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but attendeth to poverty. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight, the chance to be together as a church family. Lord, thank you for this missions month and the way that you spoke to our hearts the past few weeks. And Lord, just raised our awareness for needs around the world and in our own country. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'd speak to our hearts and help us to find application Lord, from this principle. And uh, Lord, just to be affected um, by your word in a positive and helpful way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In the 16th century, um, the word generosity was often used, and it reflected an aristotelic sense of being of noble lineage or or high birth. And so if you were to define someone as generous, it would be this idea that they belonged to nobility. And the idea behind that was that those in positions of nobility were typically the ones with the, the money and they had the, they had the ability to affect change or help in the lives of poor people who were less fortunate. In the 17th century, the meaning began to change. Generosity came increasingly not to identify family heritage, but rather noble spirit that was thought to be associated with high birth. And so, for instance, if you had some type of air about you or dignity or, or certain character traits that someone would have associated with someone who would be of, of, of noble bloodlines and you just kind of carried yourself with that type of deportment, well, then they would refer to you as a generous person. And so that was the idea in the 17th century. But then in the 18th century, the word evolved more to primarily mean what it means today, and it's used to define the act of being open-handed and liberal with money and possessions. And so it, it kind of derived from this idea of nobility, uh, people with, uh, with, with you know, high-ranking high bloodlines and family who had a lot of money, had a responsibility and the ability and the responsibility to, to take care of the poor, to I have the traits of nobility, to just anyone who would go about and do what they're supposed to do and help others that are in need. The Bible points again and again toward generosity or the generosity of God in the way the word was used in the 16th century. So we know this tonight. God is a sovereign God. Um, he is the God. There is no more noble blood than the blood that ran through the veins of Jesus Christ. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. And He has all the resources needed to take care of every person. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you're His son or if you're His daughter, then you too have noble blood in your veins. You're a child of the King. And you have access to strength and to resources that no one else has because you are a child of God. You're more royal than Queen Elizabeth, right? Or at least no more royal than she would be. But God isn't just generous in his family tree. God is generous in the 18th century way the word is and was used too. He is open-handed. And God is liberal in His goodness. He doesn't withhold. He gives and He gives and He gives. And He is generous both in His bloodline, but He's also generous in the way that He acts and interacts with the world. And if you're His child, then you have the bloodline and you also have the generosity characteristic of Christ. Or, 
At least you're supposed to. Verse 24 of Proverbs 11 points out to us one of the biggest paradoxes of Scripture that starts in the book of Genesis and continues all the way through Revelation. And it's one that doesn't make sense. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or even a self-contradictory statement or proposition that when it's investigated or when it's explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So that's what a paradox is. And here's this absurd statement that it doesn't make any sense, but giving away leads to increase and grasping only leads to decrease. And, And this is what the verse states tonight. Verse 24 again, there is that scatters. Okay, so we expect someone who's scattering would have what? Decrease. I'm giving away, I have an object, I have something, and as I disperse it, it's depleting. We understand that with our bank accounts. You swipe your debit card, you spend the cash, it goes which direction? Down, not up, right? So that's the expectation. You burn fuel in your car, you drive around town, the gas gauge goes this way, right? It it, it goes down, and that's the expectation. But the scripture says this, there is that scattereth, and here's the paradox. It doesn't make sense. It says, but yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth. In other words, okay, I, I, I don't spend, and I, and I, and I hold it all together, and I, and I grasp it in my hands. And the Bible says this, more than is meat, but those who grasp it tends to poverty. And it's, you look at that verse, you go, that doesn't make sense. But that theme and that principle runs throughout the entire Word of God. And this verse simply registers a fact that is both observable and frequent. Open hands lead to more, and clenched hands lead to less. It's like trying to grab sand on the seashore and hold it tightly and not let any slip through your fingers. You can't do it. And when we grasp onto the things of our life, Jesus said it this way, whosoever tries to keep his life... The same shall what? Well, he's going to lose it. And those that lose their life, well, they shall keep it. And so it's this idea of open hands receive more and closed hands receive less. Those who give themselves away move toward a position of flourishing. And those who hold on to themselves, they diminish their lives. Generosity does not work in zero-sum ways. There aren't winners and losers. When it comes to generosity, and we're going to get into this in just a second, because this goes beyond our finances. It's not just money. But when we are generous-hearted and generous in our spirit and generous with the possessions and things that we have, we win. There is no, the Bible says it acts is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We win. But is it a blessing to receive? Well, the Lassiters, I'm sure, will think so in a few minutes when we get to tell them we're taking them on support, right? It's a blessing to receive. We all appreciate receiving. Did you get a paycheck this week? You appreciate that? That's a blessing. It's a blessing to receive. It's also a blessing to give. There are no losers. But those that withhold produces only losers. Those that are grasping onto what's theirs, their heart, their envy, their finances, their time, the talent that God's given them, they grasp onto those things. They try to control them. Well, they lose, and the recipient who should be the recipient of it, that God's ordained to be the recipient of it, they also lose. 
and it withholding only produces losers. And that really is the main thought tonight, the paradox of generosity. But I do want to make a few applications, and I want us to try to absorb this truth tonight, and I'm going to take some time to explain it. When it comes to generosity, or the lack thereof, you will live in the environment that you create. You have to live in the environment that you create. So verse 24 is set in context, and it's centered around the theme of desire and wealth. And and the idea behind the verse is, is, is action. And I want you to look at verse 25 with me. Because the Bible says, again says this, those that scatter increase, those that withhold more than meat tends to poverty. Then it says this, the liberal soul shall be made fat. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. The blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor. But he that seeketh, seeketh mischief, it shall come upon him. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And the idea of each verse is this. The one who does this, then this happens. He does this, and this happens. It's this cause and effect relationship. And the emphasis is placed on the action of the doer. What they do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and again we see this paradox of generosity principle. And Paul says, but this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also, what? Sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So here's this ancient farmer. And he has this field before him. And he's plowed it, and he's, he, he, he has it all prepared for the seed. And he walks out, and he has his seed bag on him, and he reaches in to the seed and in the, to grab some seed. And in that moment, he makes a decision. How much seed am I going to throw out? Am I going to be stingy and just put a little bit? Or am I going to be liberal and just get it all out there and use up the entire bag that I have? What, my, what thoughts might be going through his mind as he thinks about the flow of seeds? Well, there might be the fear that he may not have enough seed to sow the whole field. There would be concern that seed is hard to get, it's expensive, and he can't afford to waste it. He might look around him and have doubt in the quality of the ground or of coming rain. And so there would be this concern and all these thoughts begin to flow through his head. And and as he does, maybe he holds on to that seed a little tighter as he begins to think of of all the fears he has. Or what thoughts might he consider that would tend him to be more generous? Well, perhaps he knows this. The soil is good. And he's optimistic of a good harvest. He's been told by an expert that this this is good soil. And this is a good place to invest your seed. Or he is confident in prevailing weather patterns. And so he begins to be more liberal and generous. Or maybe he just has ultimate trust in God, that God controls nature, and he simply anticipates God's going to bless him. But I want to make this point. Regardless of what the farmer does, And regardless of what thoughts he chooses to listen to, 
He is going to have to live with the crop that he sows or that he doesn't sow. That's his field. And so the results and the environment that he's going to create are his. You have to live with your field of life. It's no different. You have to live in the environment or the place that you've created. In all of those places that you live, you have created a reputation. You have created a name. You are creating a legacy for what you're known for. You train people to look at you a certain way. The people that know you, they anticipate your responses. Why? Well, because of the things you have and are sowing. What do generous people sow? Well, obviously they sow money, invest it. That, that's a given. The Bible says that a lot. It talks more about money than any other subject. I, people ask me all the time, how do you come up with all those thoughts on, on money each Sunday? And let me just tell you, I haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> like, there's just so much there. The whole Bible's just full of it. So there's money. There's possessions. There's time. There's attention that we might give toward another person. Physical aid. Encouragement. Emotional availability. A, a listening ear. And the list goes on and on and on. See, generous people so all the things that you want in life. What do you want? Well, you want attention. You want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You want someone to come by and shake your hand. You want someone to encourage you. You want someone to think about you and smile at you and, and, and love you and care about you. Those are the things that are needs of the human heart. And so whatever the things that you want and you really want, those are the things that generous people, that's what they do. They sow how you want to be treated. And so a man's life could look like this. He reaches into his energy and into himself. And he thinks, it's Wednesday night. It's been a long day. But church is assembling. And it's my church. And I'm going to go. And so he makes that effort. And then he comes in. And then he sits down. And then he thinks to himself, if this is going to be a happy place, and this is going to be a church family, it's going to be a church family and a happy place because I make it so, because this is my church. And so he stands up and he walks over to someone and he puts a smile on his face. He worked hard today, but he's put a smile on his face. What's he doing? He's reaching within his seed bag, if you will. And he pulls out a smile. And he pulls out a handshake. And he goes by the track table and thinks, I need to invite someone to church this week. So he swipes a business card or a track or a map. And he says, I've got to sow my testimony and what Christ has done in my life and my faith. And, and what's he doing the whole night here? He, he, he goes up to Tom Wood and he asks how his week was. What's he doing? He's sowing. He's investing. He's creating. He's spending. And as this man loses his life after a hard day at work, as he gives it away, an amazing transformational thing takes place in his life. Because love, 
that he has given to others begins to be returned to him. And so as he's made friends, all of a sudden, people are friendly to him. And he walks in one night, and he's a little discouraged. And someone encourages him. And, and other people smile at him, and they greet him, and they love him. Why? Because he sowed it all. And now what's he doing? He's reaping. And you look at someone that's happy, and you go, well, I don't know why everybody likes them. They created that environment. They made that life. I don't know why their spouse loves them so much and why they look happy. And their kids aren't perfect, but they look happy. They've made that happen. People come to Eastland Baptist Church, and, 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 and we've heard from some of the speakers just recently, the last two weeks, Joe Dickinson and Jason Jett on Sunday, and they both walked away going, this is a special place. What's the secret sauce? And the answer is simply this, people who sow. It's, it's, it's just the people here saying, this is our church, and we sow here, and we create this environment. See, there is a reciprocal relationship between giving what we have and being blessed. When we treat others with generosity, we ourselves are treated that way. What happens to those who don't give? What happens to the farmer who, who withholds? And he's not sure about the, the field. And he's not sure about the weather patterns. And he just doesn't trust it. And so he holds it all in. What about the farmer who's stingy with his money? Or the man who sits in the pew and doesn't greet anyone? Or the woman who doesn't serve or smile? Or those who take no interest in others and simply expect others to take interest in them and come to them? The person who brings no joy to others? What happens to those people? You know, it's no coincidence that the word miser is etymologically related to the word miserable. Verse 26 says this, and I want you to look there with me. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. See, that person's going to reap the results of, and live in the environment they create. People curse them. People are going to have tension in their relationships with you. Why? Because you're not a generous person. You're not kind. You're not warm. You're not soft. You're not forgiving. You don't overlook faults easily. You keep score. You're not gracious. You're not generous spirited. And so all of a sudden, people curse you. And they talk about you in ways you don't like. Why? Because that's the field you've sown. And you've withheld your goodness. And you've thought only about yourself. And you just hold it all tightly. You keep your money in your pocket. You keep your smile in your, in your, in your, in, in, in your face. And, and your warmth to yourself. And you just stare everybody else down. And you come in here expecting everyone else to serve you and you do nothing. And you have demands and you have opinions. And you have a lot of criticism, and you could fix this place if you were in charge, sure. And, and then people curse you. I don't like that guy. I don't want to go near him. Don't want to greet that sour face. People curse you. Not that they should. It's just what they do. It's what they've always done. So if you want to be treated generously, and I would assume you do, 
then live that way. Live generously. If you live in the environment that you create, then make it a goal of your life to be defined as a generous person. Add it to the bucket list tonight. Go, you know, parachuting and be defined as generous, right? Like, like these, are, these are life goals. May I be defined as a person who's generous? Well, how? Well, I want to suggest to you with one, in one specific way tonight, by being strategic. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 32? Isaiah chapter 32. I want us to look at two verses tonight. And if you don't have a Bible, then tap there, your way there on your phone or, or just listen real closely. This is what Isaiah 32 verse 7 says. The instruments also of the churl are evil. Okay, let me define a churl. It's a scoundrel who withholds. That is the direct context and the definition of that grouping of words. All right. So the instruments of also of the churl are evil. The scoundrel who withholds. Okay, so let me just make this plain. Withholding, as we talked about in Proverbs just a moment ago, is an instrument of evil. It's, 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 withholding is not just a passive activity. It's literally evil, a churl. That's a great word, isn't it? And I, and I looked it up and made sure I was saying it right, so you could, you could repeat that. It's a churl. It's a scoundrel who withholds. It's an instrument of evil. Okay, then he goes on to say, He deviseth wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks right. Okay, so here's a man who's in need, or here's a cause that, sh that should be represented, or that what one should be generous toward. And the churl says no, and then he, he manipulates the circumstances with his words to withhold and justifies so that he doesn't give or he doesn't meet the need. Verse 8, but the liberal deviseth liberal things. All right, some more definitions here. The context of verse 7 is not liberal in terms of some political ideology or philosophical stance. Rather, it means this, generous. And it literally means, when you look up the definition, being inclined, leaning in, being willing to be generous. It's the idea of having this willing heart, I'm inclined to be generous. It's, it's liberal. Deviseth means plans. Here's the idea. Generous people plan generous things, and they plan to be generous. And the rest of this verse says this, and by liberal things shall he stand. And the idea there is he's not backing away. Like he consistently does this over and over again. Uh, this man who's liberal, he's inclined to be a help. He helps and he just stays in that mode. What am I going to do next? How can I be more of a help? In what ways can I be even more generous? But what does the churlish man do? Well, he has an instrument of evil. And what is his instrument? It's not a pitchfork. It's he grasps. He withholds. He keeps to himself. He doesn't participate. He doesn't give. He doesn't get involved. He doesn't smile. He doesn't forgive. 
He doesn't extend grace and kindness. He doesn't serve. He's churlish. See, being generous isn't just something we do. It's something we are to stand in. It's something we're supposed to be. If someone were asked to describe you, if we were to have, you know, your funeral service tonight, we aren't. Um, it would have to be Saturday or next Monday. I don't, I don't know, you know, <laughs> we have to plan these things. What words would be descri- used to describe you? Like, how, how are we going to talk about you? And would generous be one of the words? Or maybe not the exact word, generous. But would it be represented, the idea, generosity, goodness, kindness? This person was a generous person. Let me ask you these questions uh, tonight, just a series of quick questions. Do you feel threatened when people ask you to give? Maybe not literally, but figuratively. Do you tighten up? Like, you can feel the tension inside, like, faith promise Sunday. Man, might be not feeling real well Saturday night. (laughs) Babe, we need to get out of town for a weekend. It's been a while since we've been on a date and got out of town. We laugh about it, but our attendance is usually lower. Maybe you start thinking of all the reasons why you can't. See, generosity is never determined by the amount you give. It's not about a dollar figure. It's about the heart behind the giving. When your heart is in the right place, you're going to give the right amount. When your heart is in the right place, you're going to have the right countenance. When your heart is in the right place, you're going to have the right spirit. When your heart is in the right place, you're going to be serving in the places you're supposed to be serving and doing the things you're supposed to be doing. See, this is Missions Month, and Face Promise Sunday is Sunday. And the numbers we pledge... They matter because they allow us to get things done. Minus numbers, we don't get to take on the Lassiters tonight and help plant a church in El Paso, which is pretty cool that we get to do that. They do matter. But the amount of money our church gives to missions this year really only matters as much as it reflects a heart and a spirit of generosity in this place. See, that's our responsibility, to have a heart that's willing It says, we are privileged to give when presented with the opportunity, not threatened by it. Let's not be proud that we give a certain amount to missions each year collectively as a church. Let's be proud that in our hearts, as a unified church body, we are generous people. And that defines us. And if someone were going to use words to describe Eastland Baptist Church, which is the composition of you and I, By God's grace, one of those words would be, that church is generous. Not just with the numbers they give, but with their spirit, with their heart. See, a generous person doesn't feel pressured to give when they ask, when asked to. They feel grateful for the opportunity. 
Hey, here's a chance for us to make a difference. Here's a chance for us to be a blessing. Here's a chance for us to treat you well. Here's a chance for us to welcome you, first-time guest. Here's a chance for us to go to your door, put a mailer on you in your mailbox. Here's a chance for us to tell you about the love of Christ. And we are happy to do it, and we're grateful. And we're not going to be begrudging the pastor when he stands up and says, I need you to invite someone to church this week, and I need you to give to Faith Promise Missions, and we wanted you to give your tithes and offerings and make a difference and love one another and forgive each other and smile and serve and make this place a great place and we all say amen because of a generous heart. We should be saying thank you for those opportunities. Thank you. Do you feel threatened? People ask you to give. Do you have enough to give? There are always some who will say they don't. And what they really mean is this. I don't have enough extra or left over to give without adjusting my lifestyle. That's what they mean. The truth is, you always have something you can give. The challenge is this. We have to strategically, Isaiah would say, devise a plan. Because that's what liberal or generous people do. We have strategically Figure out how to live on less. We have to strategically say, I need to figure out how I can cut back so that I can give more. That I'm willing to adjust my lifestyle. See, if God is your God, then you always have enough to give. Jesus was sitting there one day to his disciples. You know the story. He's watching people give their offerings in the offering box. He just stands there. If you ever see pastor stand by the offering box or me, you know what we're doing. All right, we're just watching. <laughs> and so he's watching all these rich, rich guys that kind of like drop in their dive check-in, you know. And here comes this little old widow lady. She drops in two little coins, not much. And Jesus is watching. He's saying, guys, pay attention to that one. He, he would only know this. No one else knew. He's God. He's got royal blood in his veins. And he says, that woman just gave everything she has. No, we don't know the backside of the story. We don't know who this woman's name is. But do you really think God allowed that to be the last cent she ever had? Based on the promises of his word, there's not a chance. Unless he broke his promise to her. He blesses. She didn't withhold. She let go. There is that scattereth. And here she goes, and she scatters two cents. And yet... She gave it all away, and the Bible says, yet she increased. Do you have enough to give? This Sunday? Um, tonight? Of yourself? Of your heart? Of your money? Last question. Do you see the need in others? Do you see it? Guys, up here a few minutes ago trying to help us see a need in El Paso. And we get the privilege of helping. There's needs in this church too. And there's needs on this immediate campus and just outside the walls of this campus and in your neighborhood. Everywhere you go. Proverbs 22.9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. And it says these words, for he giveth of his bread to the poor, 
But the point is this, he giveth. He that hath a bountiful eye, a generous eye, shall be blessed. Some people have an eye for design. Some people have an eye for color. Um, Some people have an eye for fashion or business deal. But we can all have a bountiful eye. It doesn't take a special talent or skill or personality trait. It's a strategic choice that we make to see things differently, to open our eyes and to observe needs. But we don't like to do that. Why? Because all of a sudden we're going to feel compelled to give. But the Bible says this, the bountiful eye, the one that sees, and, and they're generous, that that man, that woman, that child, that person is blessed. Why? Because they see the need and then they giveth. They meet it. Church isn't the only place you should give. We have a responsibility to water the place you're planted in. And if you don't, you're a fool because you're drying up the very ground in which you're trying to grow. But we need to see not just the needs here, but beyond these walls. There's a world in need of your giving. And if you'll have a bountiful eye, you can see to meet those needs. So yes, tithe. Yes, give offerings. Yes, give to the mission fund. And yes, give beyond that. And you find those areas. Because they're everywhere. And you can do it. And you should do it. Herman Camacho is one of the men in our Hispanic ministry. Some of you may know him. He's been here a very long time, and I believe he's been here since the inception of our ministry here. Um, Closing in on 20 years, Pastor, somewhere in that time frame. Brother Camacho was a drug addict. He was living a rough life, a wasted life, on the streets in Peru where he was born. And someone reached out to him and shared with him the love of Christ. And he got saved. And he didn't just get saved. The man's life was completely turned around. And if you know Brother Camacho, you know the man is an incredible Christian. He moved to America, but he's never lost his heart for those who are addicted to sin and have never heard about Jesus Christ in Peru. And so some years ago, he took it upon himself to go back to Peru And he teamed up with a local pastor, and he started a men's ministry there to reach addicts. And he transitioned that ministry over to a church, and and, and now they're, they're running that church. And he went back again, and he started a ladies' ministry. And, and they're reaching ladies. And just recently he went back, and he started another men's ministry, because the need there is so great. People that, Peru is just south of Colombia. These people are very addicted to drugs and have messed up lives. And he was one of them. Brother Camacho, and I believe I have this correct, and if if I'm not right, you can correct me after the service, but he works at Tulsa University as a janitor. And every year he goes over there and spends every extra dollar he has on these missions that he has started with one or two other men by himself to reach these people. And then he goes and serves a few months out of the year to get those ministries going. They've bought a van. They go up and down the streets. They pick these men up. They take them to a shelter. They feed them and they try to witness to them and get them back on their feet and disciple them in the Lord. He's asked our church recently to consider supporting the mission, the mission financially. And 
the deacons and pastor asked Elizabeth and I and Brother Walter to go there and visit the work, and we're going to be doing that in two weeks. We're going to travel down there and fly down there, and Brother Walter and I will be there. I'll be preaching in that mission there, and he, all, he and I will be on the streets and part of the program. But I want to make this point. There are lives being changed in this little mission because Brother Camacho took it upon himself to sacrifice so much to make a difference in the lives of others. The man has a bountiful eye. So what does a bountiful eye do? He giveth. So that's what he's doing. There is that scattereth. Works it to you, cleans restrooms, takes extra, every extra dollar, and scatters it. And the man is one of the happiest people I know. And if you talk to him about it, it'll overwhelm you. He's there right now. Brother Galendo is there as well. Some of you know him and our Spanish ministry serving. We're going to meet up with him here in just a few weeks. See, giving is one of the great equalizers of God's people. To the self-focused, the behavior of the giver seems foolish and against their best interests. But Scripture suggests otherwise. You're going to live in the environment you create. You're going to be treated the way you treat other people. Your lack of generosity is going to create in your home and in this place and in your work environment and in your relationships a lack of generosity back towards you. You want to be stingy with love? Okay. But you're going to be treated in a stingy way. There is that scattereth, but he increases. And there's the guy that just gives of himself. And when he doesn't have the strength, he just reaches down in, he prays to God, he finds it, and he does more. He scatters, and yet he keeps growing and increasing. But those that withhold more than his meat tends to poverty. So why not create a generous environment in your life? An environment where you treat other people with the warmth of generosity, and they treat you with that same grace. Missions Month's another opportunity not to get tense or scared on Sunday. It's Faith Promise Day. Not to dodge the little card. Not to turn in a blank number. But to just say thank you for the opportunity. Because I have something I can give. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to participate. And thank you, Lord, for another chance to make a difference in the lives of other people. So let's do it. And let's do it with a right heart and a right spirit. And let's watch our lives and our church increase with the blessings of God. I don't know what all that means. I just know this. Blessings are bigger, bigger and better than money. A lot better. Sometimes it's material and sometimes it's in other ways. But those who serve those who scatter are always going to be increased.